Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. This morning we're going to talk about something that most of you probably hate to talk about, which is probably not a good way to start a sermon, but I have your attention at least, right? But what makes the topic that we're going to talk about so interesting is we all have a love-hate relationship with it. It's a word that we initially hate, but eventually learn to embrace and even love. And I'm talking about the word discipline. Discipline. Yeah, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? See, discipline is sort of like the friend that we hate to see coming, but after they leave, we're glad that they came, right? We're glad that they showed up. Kind of like you, you, you hate to think about exercising and working out, but you're, you're glad that you did afterwards. Kind of like you hate turning down those hot rolls and honey butter that they place on your table every time you go to Texas Roadhouse, but you're glad that you turn them down when you step on the scales the next week. So I've heard. <laughs> Back in the day, I used to go running, not because I like to, but because I like to eat too much. Then sometime during my mid-40s, I kind of transitioned from, from running to jogging, and there is a difference, by the way. And then a few years after that, I don't know how, exactly when it happened, but then I kind of transitioned from jogging to, uh, to walking. But the interesting thing is, as much as I, as I used to dislike running and jogging, now when I'm out walking and I see a runner or a jogger, because what I, I, my walk, I kind of do my walking and, and prayer time. I walk up to the cemetery, take a couple laps around the cemetery, and I know it's weird, but anyway, that's kind of what I do. So every now and then I'll see some runners and joggers going up Stafford Terrace, you know. And uh, the other day I was doing my walk and I saw a runner going by there, and uh, I actually found myself getting a little nostalgic. You know, I kind of I I miss that, you know. In fact, one time I, that happened and I thought, you know, I think I might try jogging again. Bad mistake. Huge mistake. That didn't last very long. But see, this is the nature of discipline. Even though we initially resist, we never regret discipline and we never regret good habits either. But, but the really interesting thing about discipline is, think about this. When it comes to discipline, our motive or our attitude is unrelated to the outcome, right? See, if, if you eat healthy for all the wrong reasons and with a bad attitude, you'll still benefit from eating healthy. You see that? Doesn't matter what your attitude is, you will reap the benefits of eating healthy regardless of what your mindset is going into that. In fact, your attitude might even change as you do that, as you push through that. The point being, what begins as sheer discipline will ultimately become a habit. And habits, as, as you all know, habits form and shape our daily lives for the better or sometimes for worse. So whether it's exercising or cutting back on sweets or, or coming home earlier from work or spending less and saving more or calling your mama more often, whatever your discipline is, discipline facilitates progress. There is no progress without discipline. If you're with us for the first time this morning, you're sort of kind of coming in at the end of the movie, so to speak, since we're winding down this series titled Faithful, Fueling Your Faith in a World Running on Empty. 
And in this series, we've been looking at some principles that will help ignite and grow our faith. Because as we've said from the beginning, Jesus' agenda for his first century followers and his 21st century followers is that we would be people of big, unshakable, gritty, living in the real world faith. Faith that doesn't just reside in our head based on things that we believe, but faith that's actively lived out in the real world, in our family, at school, at work, in our neighborhood. In other words, faith that shows up when we show up, right? Faith that changes things, which explains why Jesus' invitation was not just to believe in me, but to what? Follow me. He wants us to have follow me faith, not just believe in me faith. So in this series, we're looking at five faith principles or catalysts, five things that help develop and blow up and grow up our faith. And the first one we looked at was practical teaching. Week one, we looked at practical teaching. When people share their faith story, it usually includes something about the first time that someone explained the Bible to them in a way that they could actually understand it and even apply it to their daily lives. Because when we apply God's word, right? We're exercising our faith. And when our faith meets God's faithfulness, see, that's when our faith gets some traction and begins to blow up and grow up. So practical teaching. In addition to practical teaching, personal ministry is another thing that blows up and grows up our faith. When people tell their faith story, they'll talk about the first time that they actually served somebody or, or served a group of people, uh, maybe in or through the church, first time that maybe they helped with a, a, a kid's a family kid's class, or maybe they went on a missions trip or, or you know, came in and worked at the food pantry, did something beyond their world, something that they felt a little inadequate, kind of felt a little scary to do, you know, kind of felt unprepared for, right? But you step, you took that step of faith, and God met you at that point. And as scary as it was going into it, you, you felt, you afterwards, you were so glad that you did it. Because when your faithfulness intersected, when your faith intersected with God's faithfulness, it was a, it was a game changer as far as your faith. Then the third dynamic we talked about this last time, last week, was providential relationships. When everyone, whenever anyone tells their faith story, they talk about uh, the people that God uh, like just providentially dropped into their life at the right time, right? It's like, then I met this guy, or, or then I met this girl, or, or then this family moved in next door, or, or then I got this new job, and this guy at work invited me to a small group. And you're like, small group? What's a small group? Never heard of a small group, but you went, and you met some of these people. And it was scary at first, but little by little, as you kind of exercise some faith, God began to draw you in. When we tell our faith stories, there are always those people that were just there at the right time. They were like providential relationships because it was like God just brought them there at just the right time. God uses providential relationships to help grow our faith as well. Faith principle or faith catalyst number four that we're going to look at this morning is when people share their faith journey, they'll always mention private or spiritual disciplines. When people tell their faith story, they'll usually mention how they started being intentional and consistent in certain spiritual truths and principles. Three in particular that we're going to look at this morning, because these are the most common ones, right? The first one is daily devotions. When people share their faith story, it usually includes a chapter or a narrative talking about the time that they decided to, they pre-decided to start giving God the first part of their day by spending time with him in Bible reading and prayer. Now, if this is, if this is new to you, the good news is this is easier today than it's ever been before because of smartphones, because of apps, Bible apps, and so forth, 
I'm telling you, you have so many options to begin engaging with this discipline of daily devotions. A lot of people, in fact, many of you, you might do your daily devotions through the YouVersion Bible app. How many of you, just out of curiosity, how many use the YouVersion Bible app? If you don't have it, I would, I would encourage you to download it, the YouVersion Bible app. And it's got, you know, it has the Bible and all these different translations and paraphrases, but it also has a lot of these devotional plans and reading plans that you can engage with. And, and so in fact, as a church, we'll oftentimes do this. We'll, we'll have a certain theme and, and then, you know, we'll invite everyone to join us for five day, three day, seven day, 30 day, you know, Bible reading. And we'll kind of all engage together, which is kind of nice because it kind of holds you accountable. That's what's kind of cool about it. You can choose to or not to invite someone to join you, but it kind of has that underlying accountability if, if you do. So if you haven't yet, I, I would encourage you to download the YouVersion Bible app and begin using that to help jumpstart your daily devotion discipline. Now, the only thing that I would caution you against here, and again, this is just me, so, so take it for what it's worth, but um, I would encourage you not to just do the YouVersion app. I mean, it's okay to do a, a reading plan and a Bible study through the YouVersion app occasionally, but at some point, you're going to have to just, I just want you and God. It's just going to have to be you and God because most of those Bible reading plans have some commentary, and it's, I mean, it's usually pretty good. I mean, I haven't read anything yet that seemed really odd or, you know, like heresy or anything, but at some point, you just need to get with, you know, to get along with God. Just get your Bible. Get your Bible out and just, just you know, do some reading and get quiet before him. And do some meditating, right? I mean, th- th- this is how I, you know, for me, I kind of kick it old school. I-, I get up, I make my coffee, I go sit on a recliner, and I'll get my New American Standard Bible that I got right after I got saved, and I'll get it, and I've got a little pad there with a pen that, you know, I can write down if I'm reading, and, you know, I feel like God's impressing something on me, or I write a particular verse down or something like that. Uh, but, th- but that's kind of how I-, I do my devotions. But it-, it would be good for you to occasionally, don't, don't just use the version app, just get your Bible. And just set aside some time to spend with God. Maybe get a pad if you want to journal. I mean, I would encourage you to do that because that's, that's kind of good to journal at the same time. But, you know, pick one of the Gospels. Pick, or, or, or pick all the Gospels. Just for, for a month or so, just read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or just pick one of them. Just for a month, read through Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and John. You might be surprised how exciting it can be to get up the next morning and it's like, man, I wonder what's going to happen with Jesus today, right? I wonder what's going to happen with him today. So, you know, just, just decide that you're going to set aside some time at the beginning of the day to, to spend time with the Lord in Bible reading and prayer. In a moment, I'm going to talk about a 30-day challenge. So I'm going to give you a real simple, real simple 30-day Bible reading plan that you can use or not during this 30-day challenge. And it's found in the book of Proverbs because there are 31 Proverbs. So how easy McSneezy is that? What, what's, the, what's the day of the month? What day is it today? 22nd. So what, what Proverbs do you read? 22, right? So just, you know, just get up whatever day it is, get up that morning and read that proverb. And, you know, again, it's, it's a real simple way, but, you know, if you haven't done this before, it's a good way to kind of jumpstart you and get you into the mindset and routine of doing this. Now, you don't have to do that plan. But do something. Predetermine that you're going to start setting aside some time for God at the beginning of the day to spend time with him in Bible reading and prayer. Jesus actually commands us to do this, right? Remember what he told his disciples when they asked him to teach them how to pray? He told them, he said, go to your room and close the door. It's kind of interesting. The point being is get alone. He's not saying you actually have to go find a room. No, the idea is just get alone. Just get wherever that is. 
Just go get alone with God. Set aside some time and get alone with God. And of course, you know, Jesus practiced what he preached in Mark 1.35. It says this, very early in the morning. Everyone say early in the morning. One more time. Everyone say early in the morning. See, some of you didn't know that there was two 6.30s each day, did you? Yeah. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So Jesus sets the example for us, right? He had a predetermined to do this. He set aside some time each morning to spend with the Father. And then when Peter and some of the disciples, they wake up later, and they can't find Jesus, so they go looking for him. And then verses 36 and 37 of Mark 1, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus, where you been? We're, everyone's looking for you. We got places to go, people to see, people to heal, to which Jesus' response would be, that's exactly why I had to spend some time with the Father, because I've got a busy day. I got a busy day. That's why we need to spend some time with the Father. The point being, I think about this. Jesus gave his Father the first minutes of the day. If we're going to follow Jesus, should we do any less? It's a fair question. If Jesus gave the Father the first part of the day, some minutes at the first part of the day, why should it be any different for us? Well, the answer is it shouldn't, right? It shouldn't, and it's a discipline. It's something we predecide. We're going to do it no matter what we've got going on that day, no matter if we overslept, no matter if we went to bed late, didn't get as much sleep. No, no, no. We are going to predetermine. No, I am setting some time aside in the morning to spend with God in Bible reading and prayer. We're giving God the first minutes of our day, period, non-negotiable. And the reason private or personal devotions are important is because, see, this is where we really wrestle with God, right? Personal or private disciplines are what develop the, the intimate personal side of Christianity. They, they, they move us from, from uh, believing in Jesus to actually following Jesus. Spending time alone with God through reading his word and prayer not only informs our conscience, it also renews our mind. And that's huge to growing our faith. Because, because an unrenewed mind or a conscience that isn't fine-tuned to the things of God creates a very feeble and fragile faith. So the first discipline that helps grow up and blow up our faith is giving God the first part of our day through daily devotions. This next discipline is arguably the most difficult of all the spiritual disciplines. Kyle kind of touched on it in his host segment. Giving or becoming a percentage giver. The discipline of percentage giving is deciding up front that you're not going to be a situational or just a need-based giver where, you know, you'll pitch in anytime, you know, that you're made aware of a need in the church or a need anywhere or, or just occasionally, you know, you'll, you'll drop a check or something in, in the offering. But see, if that, and that's not bad, you know, that, that's not bad to give then. It's, it's, never, it's never bad to give, you know, to God. But if that's the extent of your giving, then you've missed it. You've missed the point entirely. See, faith-growing giving isn't just giving whenever we're made aware of a need. Faith-growing giving is pre-deciding to give a certain amount, a percentage. And the Bible says that percentage should be 10%. So if you're asking for a starting point, that's it, 10%. All right, that would be it. Becoming a percentage giver is, is pre-deciding to invest in what God is doing in our community, in our world, any place around us, right? 
Any, any place that, that God is moving by his Holy Spirit, right? And when, you, and when you wrestle with this discipline, here's what you're going to discover. You're going to discover it's not really about money. Seriously, you're going to discover this isn't really about money. It's about priorities. It's about your confidence in God. It's about your, it's about your faith. It's about your faith. This discipline right here will bring front and center the answer to this question, do I really trust God to take care of me? Do I really trust God to take care of me? If you're really interested in following Jesus, at some point, you're going to have to wrestle this to the ground. And and in wrestling it to the ground, here's what you're going to discover. You're going to discover, you know, this isn't a money thing at all. It's, It's really a faith thing. One time when Jesus was teaching, he told the crowd in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. He said, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear, which sounds kind of odd to us since those are things that we pretty much never have to worry about, right? Since we have so many eating and drinking and clothing options, right? But this was a legitimate concern for people living in the first century. So for the sake of application today, we could change it to this. Because Jesus would say to us today, don't worry saying, how are we going to pray for, how are we going to pay for braces? Or how am I going to plan for retirement? Or how am I going to get my kids through college? Right? And Jesus said, hey, don't worry about that. Your father knows that you have those needs. He said, don't worry. That's pagan thinking. He said that. He said, that's pagan thinking. Verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things. That's what they're, see, pagans are consumed with what if, what if, what if, right? And from our point of view, you know, we don't see ourselves as pagans. We're just trying to be responsible, pay our bills, right? Take care of our family. And, and these are some of those responsibilities. But the issue here is when we dwell on those things at the expense of our relationship with God. Because this is what we all do. And by all, I'm talking about North American Christians. We are so consumed. You think about this. We are so consumed with protection and provision. You should record your prayers sometimes. Sir, record your prayers for a month and go back and listen and see how much of your prayers relate to or asking for protection or provision. I think it might be shocking to us, right? That's why Jesus said, and your heavenly father knows that you need these things. Jesus' response would be, and this is why this is a faith issue, Jesus says, look, your heavenly father knows that your kids need braces, that your kids want to go to college, that you need a job, whatever it is. He knows that you got to pay bills. He knows you got to retire someday. See, this right here is, is where the tension comes. Honestly, honestly, trusting God in our finances is the real litmus test of our faith and trust in Jesus. Because if you can come to the place where you fully trust Jesus in your giving and finances, you'll be able to trust him in any area of your life. I'm serious. That, that's just how it is. Do you, so the question, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe Jesus? That's the issue. Do you believe that he knows and that he can take care of you? And honestly... Think about this. How hard is it to trust God for something you have no control over anyway? It's not hard at all because you have no control over it, right? See, this is why, unfortunately, this is why that the only time some of you pray is when there's a crisis, right? Just being honest. When there's a crisis that you can't handle, you're like, okay, Jesus, I've done everything I can do. I'm out of options. So I'm going to trust you now. And your heavenly father's like, I got an idea. Let's do that all the time. 
Seriously, I got an idea. Why don't you come to me first all the time, right? Not just when you've exhausted all your options. Isn't that what he said? Verse 33, but seek what? First, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, that's what big, bold, unshakable, active, life-changing faith looks like. Percentage giving, upfront, pre-decided, disciplined giving exercises our faith because it involves letting go of what we are most inclined to put our confidence in, which is our stuff, our money, right? See, this is why it's a faith thing. It's not even a money thing. That's why Jesus made this comment. He said, you can't have two masters, right? Because you'll be loyal to the one and not to the other. You're you're either going to surrender and follow God, or you're going to surrender and follow someone or something else. And our worldview thinking would have us believe, when Jesus said that, would have us believe that this is a God or devil issue, that that we would either serve God or serve the devil. But Jesus throws us a curveball, right? He says, look, this isn't a choice between God and the devil. It's a choice between God and the old English says mammon, which was just talking about your money, your stuff. So see what Jesus cuts to the chase here. He says, hey, let's get real here. You're not struggling with whether or not you're going to follow God or the devil. No, no. Our issue is, are you going to trust God or are you going to trust your stuff? That's the real issue. Are you going to trust your wealth? And if we're honest, come on, if we're honest, we would probably say both, right? Because most of us do trust our money and our resources and stuff until they run out, and then we switch our trust to God. God is basically our plan B, to which our Heavenly Father says, no, the invitation is to follow, to prioritize, to surrender to me. He knows. Listen, he knows that the number one contender for my loyalty and your loyalty is not the devil. It's our stuff. It's our stuff, our financial security. So Jesus is basically inviting us to surrender that part of our life to him as well, the one that we really struggle letting go of completely. And just a heads up here, my experience is when you make the decision to take that step of faith and begin trusting Jesus with your finances and becoming a percentage giver, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to warn you, things could get worse before they get better. Because just like he did with his disciples, Jesus will orchestrate the events of your life in a way that will force you to really trust him, really trust him, to where he's not a plan B. He is the only plan, right? He did that with the disciples. Remember the story about the feeding of the 5,000? When the disciples said, hey, Jesus, we need to send these people home to get something to eat. What did Jesus say? You feed them, right? You feed them. So he was constantly doing that. And he'll do that here as well. When you take that step of faith, don't be surprised if it gets scary before it gets better, right? Continue to trust Jesus, but continue to trust. See, that's why it's called faith. Back in 1981, I was working as a youth pastor making $300 a week. So... After paying the, the tithe each week of $30, our take-home was $270 a week. After a few months, the church you know, was growing, and, and, and this was down in Oklahoma. And uh, 
the church started growing, and, and so that's why they hired us, actually, because the church had been growing, and so they were having these expansion problems, kind of like what we're facing here. But anyway, so uh, they were wanting to do some uh, remodeling stuff to kind of create some more space. So the pastor came to the congregation and asked if, if people would consider giving over and above their tithe in an offering to help fund some of this expansion that we were doing. So I prayed about it, talked with Sue about it. So we decided to give an extra $20 a week. Okay, on top of our 30, on top of our tithe, we gave an extra 20. So we were giving $50 a week. So my take home at that point was $250. Kid you not, within two weeks, our Plymouth Fury, I think first service I said it was a 73. It was a 69, 1969. I wish I had it now. 69 Plymouth Fury died, shot craps on us. Just quit. Just quit, right? Well, what do we do at that point? You know, now here I am, and I, you know, I, I got a little testy with God. Oh, this is how you, what, what about opening up those windows of heaven and pouring out your blessings, God? Here I'm, I'm not only tithing, I'm giving over and above in an offering, and this is, I, I, you're opening up the windows, but those aren't blessings falling down on me, God. I did, you know, I kind of, don't, come on, don't look at me like that. You guys kind of get that way with God too sometimes, right? Seriously, I'm like, seriously, God, I can't believe this. Just trying to be obedient, Right? So there we are shopping for a car, you know, and Sue couldn't drive my pickup, still can't drive a stick because my, my pickup was a standard three on the tree, you know, and she can't drive a standard. So you have to borrow, were you borrowing your parents' car? I don't remember how we got around it. She was having to borrow her parents' car. You know, Chelsea was just a baby at the time. And so it put me in a position of doing what I absolutely hate more than anything else. I mean, this ranks right up there in waiting in line for a root canal. I hate shopping for cars because I can't afford a new one. So I know I'm getting a used one. So you're going to be rolling the dice, right? I hate shopping for used cars. But anyway, there we are shopping for a used car. A couple of weeks go by. I, I had test driven a couple and it just didn't really see anything that we could afford, you know, that would suit our needs. Then one Sunday evening after church, because this was back when they had Sunday evening church. You know, they used to have Sunday evening church. <laughs> One Sunday evening after church, uh, the pastor came up to me after. He said, hey, he said, uh, uh, can I meet you in my office? i got to talk to you about something. Uh, yeah. So my mind said, okay, what happened? What happened in the youth group? I'm trying to think. Did someone, I really thought, because that had never happened before. You know, He never called me into the office before. So I follow him over to his office. We go inside. He closes the door. And then I was really, I was really scared at that point. So uh, he says, hey, he says, uh, you and Sue still looking for a car? I said, yeah. I said, you know, I've test driven a couple. I just, I just, you know, I haven't really found anything yet. He said, well, and he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out his car keys and he said, well, quit looking because God told me to give you mine. This was, this was fall of 1982. He had a 1981 Cutlass Supreme Brome Velour AM FM cassette <laughs> Rally Sport Wheels Moonroof. To this day, that is the newest car we have ever owned. And God gave it to us. And I put that in jeopardy because I was going to pull back that offering. I was going to take that back. So, no, we're not. Sue so said, No, we're not. We're not going to start taking that $20. No, no, no. We committed to doing that. But I was tempted. I was tempted to give up on that. 
what's your point, Pastor? That if I start tithing and giving offerings, God will give me a new car? <laughs> he might. I don't know. <laughs> no, here, here, that's the point. Why, why do I remember that? That's why. Why do I remember that? I remember it because you know what the battle was? The battle wasn't, am I going to be able to eat and sleep and not have to ride a bicycle everywhere and sleep in a van down by the river? No, the battle was, this is mine, God. I, this is mine. This is mine. I can't afford to give you this much. And God says, okay, but I just want you to know, I, I don't want your money. I want you. That's what he said. God said, I don't want your money. I don't need your money. I want you. And the best indicator of having you, of having me, seriously, is our willingness to trust him in this area of our life. Because honestly, finances, that's the area where we all be touched, right? It's a faith thing, dear ones. It's a, it's a faith thing. So as you wrestle with this particular spiritual discipline of percentage giving, here's the word I want you to wrestle with, why? Seriously, just why? Why is that such a challenge for you? And eventually, you wrestle that to the ground, eventually you're going to realize it's really not about money at all. Huh? It's about trust and confidence in God. It's about surrender. It's about follow me. It's ultimately about our faith, our faith. So if you're going to follow Jesus at some point, you're going to have to develop the spiritual discipline of predetermined, decide ahead of time giving. And as you wrestle with that, just remember this. It's a faith issue. It's not a money issue. It's a faith issue. And when you say yes, when you take that step of faith, write that check or sign up for reoccurring giving, at that point, when your faith intersects with God's faithfulness on the backside, I mean, I remember that story about the car because that, that's probably one of the biggest faith builders in my life how God came through with us on, in that time. When you say yes, God will honor that and meet you at that point. So daily devotions, percentage giving, and then the third one we're going to look at this morning is corporate worship. Now, this discipline on the surface doesn't seem very personal, because it doesn't seem private, but it actually is because corporate worship is not just gathering in a place like this or, or in a small group or whatever, like, you know, with other Christians. It's not just about learning and sharing ideas and hearing stories. It's way, way bigger than that. Because something happens personally when we gather together corporately. I can't quantify it. I can't chart it out. I can't write out an equation and say, this is why it works this way. It's just a spiritual reality. But I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, have probably experienced this at some time or another when you come to church, like during our time of praise and worship, right? See, back when, back when we were living during the, the pandemic, I can't tell you how many times soon I said, man, I really miss going to church. I really miss going. And we weren't talking about coming to the building. Heck, I was coming up to the building pretty much every day. I was meeting Kyle and Zach up here. We would tape the services, you know, because we were just online at the time. It wasn't the building. I could come up here and walk around the building. No, no, no. What I missed was you guys. What we missed was you guys, hanging out with you guys, praising with you guys, right? That's what we missed, right? So what was it? What, what, what is it about that dynamic? What was it that we were missing during the pandemic? 
I think the best way to answer that is, and, and I, don't, I don't pretend to understand exactly what this means or how it works, but one time Jesus made this comment. He said this, and this is the old English. He said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And again, I don't know exactly what Jesus meant here, but it at least, listen, it at least means that when I get together with you and you get together with me in Jesus' name, I might experience God in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise, and you might experience God in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise had I not been there. It at least means that much. It at least means that much. There's something to we that's better than I. One pastor says it this way, he says, circles are better than rows. And something happens to me personally when I gather with you corporately. So here's what I want to do. I want to challenge all of you to, and if, if, if this or any of these disciplines are already a part of your life, keep going, man, keep going, hang in there. If any of them aren't or one or two of them aren't, here's what I want to do. I want to, uh, I want to issue a 30-day challenge. For the next 30 days, I want you to take Jesus at his word, and by that, I mean to say, I want you to walk in the promise that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6, We read it earlier, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added, given to you as well. Or I want to give you the message paraphrase because it kind of sheds a little bit different light on it. This is how the message paraphrase gives us that verse. What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax I like that. Just relax, chill, kick back, all right? To not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you, but you know both God and how he works, right? So for the next 30 days, steep your, I love this part, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions, Give him the first minutes of your day, the first dollars of your income, the first day of the week. Just the first. That's all he asks. Just the first. Right? You don't have to give him all the minutes. You don't have to give him all your money. You don't have to give him all the days of the no, no, no. Just, 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 just the first. Right? Just the first. And if the if the giving, the percentage giving, if that 10% is it's just too much for you to overcome, start somewhere. And I, not every pastor would tell you that. You know, there are pastors, no, no, 10%. You give anything less than 10%, that's disobeying God. It is. I, if you're at, yeah, that's disobeying God. But start somewhere. I believe God will honor that. Start somewhere. And I believe God will honor that and get you to the point where you can be giving what he asks of us, which is the 10%, right? So just give him. First day of the week, come here in corporate worship. First minutes of the day, set aside some time. Predetermine that you're going to spend some time with the Lord each day, each day. See, this really is what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God because these things, think about this, these things challenge us individually and personally. And that's where intimacy with our Heavenly Father is found. And, and I'm absolutely convinced that God will use these three things, among others, to grow up and blow up your faith. And you only have to experience that a few times. Really, you only have to experience that a few times before you realize, OMG, he really does love me. He really does care about me. And he does. And your faith will get bigger. Your confidence in God will grow stronger. And initially, it might feel like a discipline, like just pure discipline. That's all right. 
Push through. Just push through that. And what began as an ought to eventually will become a want to. Either way, think about it. Either way, your faith will grow. So before I pray for you, three questions to kind of sort of keep the discussion going as you wrestle with these three disciplines this coming week. Number one, is there something you currently enjoy doing that began as a discipline? What made the difference? Think back to how you transit. You know, now all of a sudden it's like you, you actually, yeah, you just kind of look forward to doing it. How did it go from ought to to want to? Second, growing up, were you encouraged to develop any of these disciplines or habits that we've talked about today? And if so, did you continue them as an adult or did they drop by the wayside? And then sometime this week, I want you to read Matthew 6, 1 through 6. In those verses, Jesus assumes that people pray and he assumes that people give. But the question I want you to wrestle with is this here. Are you a reactive giver in prayer or are you a proactive giver in prayer? In other words, do you just respond to people's needs and give? And do you just respond to a certain crisis and pray? Or do you, as Jesus instructs us to do, do you set aside some time to pray and predetermine ahead of time to give? Because those two spiritual disciplines, along with meeting together again, are things that God uses to grow up and blow up our faith. Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I, I do pray for everyone this morning who's maybe struggling with any or all of these disciplines that we've talked about, whether it's setting aside the first part of their day to spend with you or setting aside the first part of their income to give to you or setting aside the first day of the week to give to you. At whatever point people might be, I pray that you would meet them there. Give them grace and strength to move forward in these private personal, spiritual disciplines. And as they do, Lord, as they do, I pray that you would honor that and blow up and grow up their faith. And Lord, if there are those here this morning or anyone from our eCampus church watching online, and maybe you've never taken that first step of just surrendering your heart and your life to Jesus, or, or maybe you used to be a Jesus follower and something happened, doesn't matter what it is, but you're not where you should be and you know it. And you felt a nudge this morning because you're not here by accident. You're here by divine design. And the Holy Spirit's been convicting you. And even now as I'm speaking, you're feeling that nudge to, to get right with God. If that's you, it would be my honor to, to pray for you and lead you in a prayer that would reconnect you, reconcile you to God, the same God who invites you to call him Heavenly Father. If you would just pray this simple prayer to say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died for me, for my sins. And that God raised you from the dead on the third day. And Lord, I pray that that same resurrection power that raised you from the dead would, would save me now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. And help me begin living my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.